What's the first question about? Who's it from and what are they asking about? Yeah, so we, this is a question from, from a while back. So thanks, listeners, for being patient with the, with the questions you've sent on email. We've had you know, such cool and exciting guests. Uh, we've been just kind of loading up with those at the moment, but we're going to get to some of those. And the first one is from uh, Tim Broadhurst. And Tim is uh, interested in kind of like where the whole zero carb carnivore thing got zero carb. And uh, the reason he's interested is because if you think of like things like liver and muscle meat, you know, they'll, they'll store glycogen, which is essentially, you know, your, your body's carbohydrate storage. Uh, and he's curious about what the theory on raw and immediately eaten animal products have carb content through glycogen. Uh, and how is this theory that the no carb model of the early man is a bit flawed and that through eating parts such as the liver and the skin, man was actually getting quite a bit of carb glycogen from those type of um, systems? Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a common sort of misconception or uh, uh, question. You know, zero carb was, was an artificial term made up by our guest, Charles Washington, we had on last, <laughs> last, last week. And so basically, uh, you know, it's absolutely correct. There are some carbohydrates in different animal products, whether you take in dairy, whether you take in organ meat, whether you take in uh, eggs and stuff like that. You know, as far as meat having glycogen, unless you're eating it fresh off the carcass, uh, most of that glycogen is going to be converted to lactate within a few hours. So that, that's really not an issue. But it's true, if you eat a lot of liver, if you eat a lot of eggs, a lot of dairy, you're going to be taking some carbohydrate. And I think the, when they came up with the name Zero Carb, they were already these low-carb folks, and they were really... What they wanted to say was zero carbohydrates from plant food. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's what they'll tell you. But, but, but it's, it's just it's a misnomer. That's why I personally prefer the term carnivory. Mm-hmm. And even that is, is kind of a misnomer because some people say, well, carnivores don't eat eggs. Carnivores don't eat cheese. You know, carnivores don't season their spices because there's, there's some, a little bit of plant in that stuff. And, and that's true, too. But that's kind of where that, those terms come from. You know, I think for me, you know, realizing that your food is primarily derived from animal and, and I would say most people in a purest sense are, are very similar to what I do for the most part what I practice personally is pretty much just some red meat and some water I mean that's 99% of my diet and so that's fairly true to the spirit of the thing now there are other people that will add in some eggs occasionally add in dairy occasionally and some of it's very frequently and, and, and that's not what I do personally uh, I do once in a while I'll have some eggs once in a while I'll have a little bit of dairy but that's that's a pretty rare event for me so that's that's where the misconception is I don't you know, again, I don't personally think it's carbohydrate per se in all situations where that's a problem for people. There, obviously, there's pl- countless of examples of people that do just fine eating carbohydrates. I do think we run into issues with some of the chemicals uh, that the, the carbohydrates are bound up with. You know, like I said, some people, you know, whether it's a lectin, whether it's an oxalate, whether it's a salicylate, whether it's a glycoalkaloid, a tannin, or, or any of these other, uh, you know, uh, compounds that are associated with those carbohydrates may be problematic for people. And so that's where I think the, the, the real distinction is it's not per se necessarily the carbohydrates for everyone. You know, certainly there's people that are extremely uh, carbohydrate sensitive. They have real problems with insulin regulation. And in those people, it's, it, it can be just the, that, that CHO, the carbohydrate. But I think for many people, the, the benefit comes from, you know, eliminating uh, compounds which are uh, which are sensitive to all this. Any thoughts on that, Zach? Or? Yeah, you know, I, I was actually kind of curious about that myself because I had uh, 
someone had mentioned it like a while ago and I just I didn't give it a whole lot of thought because I was like well you know I've traditionally I haven't followed like a zero carb diet so I thought well if I'm getting a little bit of <laughs> a little glycogen from the muscle meat then I just probably will eat less carbohydrates because I won't need as many um, but yeah no that makes sense that uh, you know it, you just m most people probably aren't eating eating their meat right off of the the field so to speak and um, and even fewer are probably actually eating liver but uh, yeah so no that's a that's a, an awesome answer I think you're probably the authority between the two of us on that um, our next question is from let's see, is it Gary Gary Allen yeah let me, um, I'll read I'll read this one I'll let you answer on that one how's that yeah, yeah Gary yeah. Allen May 22nd, he put this in. Good morning. I just started listening to the HBO podcast. He didn't say if you liked it or not. <laughs> we hope you like Hopefully it. Hopefully he's still a listener. <laughs> yeah, not sure if you guys offer advice via email. But yeah, we're, yeah, that's what we're doing. 39-year-old, serving the military. Thank you for your service, dude. I was in the military, too. I'm glad, glad we got You know, I'll tell you, some of the best people I ever met were in the military. Best, one of the best times of my life. But that's a different topic. And do competitive CrossFit. I've been following a modified keto diet for 60 days. I love the way I feel on the diet with energy, mental alertness, satiety, and anti-inflammation. However, my strength numbers are struggling. For anything above 70, 85% of my one rep max is my endurance and metabolic conditioning have drastically improved. Sleep seven, eight hours a night, drink 120 ounces of water a day. What do you guys recommend incorporating carb refeed day? My typical day of keto looks like this. Uh, 200 grams of fat, 140 grams of protein, 30 grams of net carbs. He's taking in MCT oil, grass-fed butter, heavy cream, avocados, pecans, beef, chorizo, pork, bacon, cauliflower, asparagus, broccoli, spinach, and hard cheese. Zach, what do you say to this dude? Yeah, you know, usually I don't always work too closely with folks just with more or less of a strength training priority. I'm working a lot of times with endurance athletes. and. What you described reminds me a lot of what I'll see when we'll get an endurance athlete into kind of their high volume, higher intensity phase of training and their their workouts are getting closer together, their recovery between workouts aren't as long and um, you know they, they kind of feel like they lose that last gear is kind of what they say. Um, but with you, I think it might be a little different just because with five days a week of workout with two rest days and more of an explosive workout style, you're probably not out, you're not probably not at the gym for like two, three hours or anything like that. So my first thought is, you know, 60 days is still a relatively short period of time. I know like Dr. Dominic D'Agostino is a big advocate of saying like, you know, even though they say there's like a four to six week induction phase where it takes to flip that metabolic switch, he's like, there's, you know, for athletes, especially when you're looking for peak performance, it might take even longer than that. You might have to give it a few months before you really start to see things clicking. Um, so you might want to kind of just kind of carry on with that and just see if that comes back after just giving yourself a little more time. The other thing I'd maybe play around with a little bit is rather than kind of focusing on some of those more or less clinical ketogenic numbers is uh, kind of double down on the red meat. You know, one thing I've done this last training block that has let me kind of go a little lower carb than I have during peak training than I have in the past is I kind of built or I, I built out my nutrition for the day around two pounds of beef, two pounds of red meat, I should say. Um, so, you know, two pounds of red meat is is probably almost enough if I don't move at all. Uh, that's usually not the case though. So usually I'll be adding to that with you know more meats and then 
you know, if I'm going to have a little bit of carbohydrate, maybe some, you know, berries or melon or something like that, a sweet potato, maybe some raw honey or something like that. Uh, but you know, one thing I've been, I've been trying to get some of my carbs too from full fat dairy. So I'll get like, uh, you know, fermented kefir or something like that and have a little bit of that. And you're going to sneak a little carb in from there. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe double down a little bit more on the red meat as opposed to some of those other sources of the meat or instead of some of those like kind of plant-based fats and, and see if just the increased protein maybe kind of helps top off the glycogen stores through like, uh, gluconeogenesis. Uh, you know, a lot of times people get hung up on trying to keep their protein under a certain number where I think if you just kind of focus on getting the meat in, then, you know, the protein will take care of itself and the extra will just uh, be used, um, as an explosive fuel source that might give you that last bit back. But what did you think, Sean? Well, I think, you know, he says modified keto, but I'm looking at his, you know, his macros. He's, looks two, strict he, keto. Yeah, he's 200 <laughs> grams of fat, 140 protein, 30 grams of carbohydrate. I mean, he's got, he's, you know, calorically, he's probably up 80, 89 to 85% fat by calorie. I think looking at those numbers. So I don't know what the modification was, but Again, I would echo a little bit what Zach says. I would I would go up on the protein, man, particularly if you're looking to put on strength, you know, and, and 140 grams of protein, I don't know how big you are, but that's really not that much for a strength athlete, you know, particularly uh, if you're doing all the other stuff with the CrossFit. So I'd look at, you know, again, roll in, roll in a few more steaks, throw an extra steak in the, in the thing today. And, and I, I, I just, if you're already at 80%, you know, uh, fat, or more, I mean, I don't know that the MCT oil is doing you any favors, you know, and again, I don't know what your meal frequency is, I don't know if you're, if you're intermittent fasting or one to two meals a day or how, how that's playing out for you, but those things are things you might want to consider. Uh, yeah, as Zach said, you know, 30, 60 days, I found for me back when I was doing a ketogenic diet, for me to see my best results, it took me about six months before I really thought I really hit my stride, and then, and then when I went carnivore, it, it was another two-month adaptation period. So. Those are some of the things I would think about. As far as the carb refeeds are going, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, you can certainly play with that. One of the things that I, I, I think is problematic for people is that, you know, there's, you know, some people use a carb refeed as an excuse just to pile on, pile on a bunch of junk food, you know, and, that's, and there, there's some people that made that sort of thing popular, and I think that's, a, that's not a big win long term you know it's not a, not an excuse to eat donuts and twinkies and you know cereal and all this crap that uh, you probably shouldn't eat it either and the other thing that i find you know depending upon what your current fiber intake is is that if you go up too high in the fiber you might end up with a lot of gastrointestinal stress and, and that you know on one of these refeed days and so that may be a net negative for you um you know you know maybe things like rice you know maybe some some uh uh, some fruit or something like that might be a way to way to do that for a refeed. I don't personally do them. I haven't done them in a couple of years, and I've done well without them. But I mean, again, I don't. You know, you play with it, see what works. I would try before I would do that. I would do what Zach suggests. Let's get rid of some of the the fake the fake oils. You know, you, MCT oil has no real nutrients in it that you really need. Uh, you got your you're already well into the ketogenic macro, macro ratios. I, I think just scaling up the protein a little bit, particularly if you're goal is strength, you know, and see how that does. And I suspect you'll still see many of those other improvements maintained, including the, you know, mental clarity and the endurance and, and, and inflammation. So, you know, up the protein via, via things like red meat, and I think, I think you're, you're, you're good. Cool. What else, what else we got there? Let's got some see. Other, some other folks. 
Yeah, we have an email from Kirk Reynolds, and he says, Hi guys, I've been carnivore for five months now and feel great. The reason why I'm on it was to trial it for my father. My dad has multi-system atrophy, which is a shitty offshoot Parkinson's with life expectancy being approximately seven years from onset. That being said, I've read lots about ketosis and neurological disorders, treatment, and nothing on carnivore. Do you guys know of anyone with experience in this area? Thanks in advance. All the way from the cold north. The cold I'm north. I wonder how, where, where the cold north is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can, I'll speak to that a little bit, Zach. I mean, there certainly, uh, yeah, there's some ketogenic literature that supports uh, modifying diet for a number of neurodegenerative issues. You know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and some of the others have, have, have started to see some pretty decent clinical success. Although, again, it's, these are all very early. Um, you know, a carnivorous diet is, is likely going to accomplish the same thing, I think. You know, you, you, and you can certainly tailor, tailor that uh, towards a more ketogenic macronutrient ratio just by eating, you know, fattier cuts of meat. And so I think there's certainly evidence of that. You know, we know there are some animal studies uh, looking at things like multiple sclerosis where they have uh, looked at remyelination, which is, you know, myelin is, is the sort of the fatty insulation that surrounds the nerves. And, you know, fat makes up a large percentage of our nervous system. And we've seen that in animals, unless they take in exogenous, you know, through their mouth, cholesterol, they're unable to remyelinate. So you can't, your, your liver just can't produce enough cholesterol to meet the needs of somebody who has MS, uh, and, and, and being allowed to try to fix that, at least in animal studies. And I suspect this, it's the same thing may be happening in humans. Um, you know, I would, you know, multi-system atrophy, you know, I don't know, it sounds like, you know, he might just be generally sarcopenic. And again, I think that's a nutrition issue. Now, whether or not your father has a digestive capacity to handle a bunch of meat, I don't know. A lot of older people, they lose some of that capacity as they get older, they, 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 they struggle producing enough gastric pH, they may have problems secreting enough proteases and lipases and their and their you know their intestinal mucosa may not be, you know, fully where it needs to be. That may take some time and he may struggle with it. And so you might have to supplement with things like lipases and proteases and uh, uh, HCL supplements initially to to kind of get that to, to facilitate for him. Additionally, you know, I don't know how you know a lot of older folks their teeth are bad and they can't chew meat. And so you might have to go, you know, ground meat or really really tender steaks or something like that so there's different ways to do that but i suspect that it would certainly you know in just in general good nutrition is going to help pretty much any situation now whether it specifically targets that particular condition you know multi-system atrophy i don't know for sure i don't think there's a i don't think there's a good randomized control on that that we can point to i don't think there's probably any dietary trials for that particular situation not, that I'm aware of, although I may not know all the literature that I haven't specifically researched it. But I suspect it certainly would not be harmful to try in my view. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like I'm certainly not in a position to give medical advice for something like this, but uh, um, it seems like with a lot of this stuff, like cleaning up nutrition is, is never a bad thing. So then the question is always like, well, what is an actually a healthy, nutritious diet? You know, I don't think it's any secret that Sean and I believe firmly in, you know, found the foundation of meat in that, in that uh, side of things. So um, like Sean said, if you are, if you're convinced the ketogenic protocol is going to help, then there's a way to try the carnivore closer to ketogenic values. And, you know, you could just, 
maybe it's a steak. And then add something like clarified butter or beef tallow uh, or, you know, any any essentially like carnivore approved pure fat source uh, just to kind of skew those ratios back up towards what we'd see in a more clinical ketogenic approach. Uh, I mean, the interesting thing is carnivore and keto, uh, they, they definitely have a lot of similarities, but in terms of like really precise macronutrient ratios, the, you know, carnivore approach is going to typically going to have a little heavier, uh, protein than what you maybe see on, on a strict ketogenic protocol. So if that's kind of your goal, you know, there's ways to kind of hack that. And, uh, one I see oftentimes too, is people, they'll cook up bacon or something like that. And there'll be a lot of grease left over. Uh, you can just use that. That's basically pure fat. You could cook, you know, a steak or something in, uh, I had one other question kind of related to nutrition or kind of like where my nutrition plan specifically differs from Sean's and Sean's is, uh, uh, I think the beauty of this is it's, it's so simple. It's really easy to kind of put in place. So it doesn't take a whole lot of explanation. It's just, you know, when you're hungry, eat some ribeye steak or some meat. And then when you're not hungry, stop and then go back when you're hungry again. Uh, it doesn't get much more simple than that. Uh, mine's a little different the way I kind of explain it. Like I mentioned this earlier too, is I kind of start with um, kind of like a foundation. And this last training block I've been doing building up for Western States has been, uh, I'll start out with at the beginning of the day, kind of committing to two pounds of red meat. And then I'll kind of build out from there. And depending on where I'm in my training, like in my peak training, you know, I will bring some carbohydrate back. Uh, the carbohydrate sources that I tend to gravitate towards are uh, like sweet potatoes, melons, berries, some raw honey, stuff like that. Uh, and then um, I'll add more meat depending on my workload. You know, some days I'll get up towards three, four pounds of meat. Uh, I just try to make sure a good chunk of it is red meat, which is why I start out with that foundation at two pounds. And you know, that's a relatively new approach for me. Uh, I've been really curious with kind of going a little heavier on the meat since, you know, meeting Sean. So that's what I've been kind of trying to do and find out. And I think one thing I'm going to try to play around with a little bit after Western States is a little more of a strict carnivore approach and uh, kind of see just how I, how I respond to it. I've done, I've done up to eight days pure carnivore in the past during recovery. So my goal essentially will be kind of to elongate that a little bit and let it kind of ride out a little bit more into another buildup in training. You know, personally, I'm really curious at the moment about how the higher amounts of protein will uh, maybe counteract the need to do some of those small little carb drips or carb sneaks that I'll use the, the berries, melons, raw honey, or sweet potatoes for. Um, the, the other way to kind of look at my nutrition approach as a whole too is uh since my workload ranges quite drastically like when i'm in peak training it's it's like a completely different lifestyle than when i'm recovering if you just look if you back out and look at the entirety of a year i probably average about 10 percent carbohydrate um and then you know sometimes that gets a little higher than that and sometimes it gets quite a bit lower than that like I said, depending on whether I'm in recovery versus kind of peak training and everything in between. So um, it's something I've done for quite a while, uh, but I'm always curious about trying new things and you know checking things out and kind of doing that N equals one experiment. So I guess stay tuned <laughs> to see some more of those and what could potentially change as uh, 
as this podcast continues. All right, Zach, I got an email from another new listener. His name is Ronnie Garrett, and it's not, it's, well, I'll read it to you. He's, he's, he sent an email to me, but he talks about our podcast a little bit. He said, here, I heard you on a couple different podcasts and recently went carnivore. Uh, thanks for what you're doing. I was guessing a ketogenic athlete and on Keto Savage. And we talked about my journey into keto and carnivore as well as the strategies to bring the ketogenic and carnivore lifestyle to the hood. <laughs> Since you know, diabetes and other metabolic diseases have really hit the black community hard since we are seemingly more susceptible. I truly believe that the black community and other minorities would adopt this carnivore lifestyle. Not only would it benefit health-wise, as it has done for me, but can also see the correlatory benefit of lowered health costs, which would benefit lower-income families, which is what I teach locally. As I was listening to your podcast with the Ketogenic Girl today, and one day I hope to meet you at one of these conferences to pick your brain more on carnivore. Last I started listening to your podcast with Zach. All right, man. So I expect to learn a lot, and thank you for putting out great content. I, like you, are in my early 50s, yet I'm still performing at an elite level due to carnivore, which stuns the young folk at, in my gym as I still easily bench press over 400 pounds and could get back to over 500. But it's not a priority since I don't compete. Sorry for a long-winded note, but as I told Danny, Danny, Brian, and Robert when I was a guest on their shows, you guys don't get enough credit for what you do, and not enough people let you know how much you have changed, and in some cases saved their lives, and their, your legacy lives through people like me who proliferate your message. So thank you, Ron Big Black Garrett. All right, Ron, thanks for the nice uh, uh, the nice. Uh, words are, yeah, I'd certainly be happy to meet you sometime. I, I certainly can't bench 400 pounds. I only did that once in my life. That was never my good thing. I've always had really long, long arms. I was a deadlifter, not a bench presser. But yeah, a couple points you made, which I think are very, uh, very astute and very important. Yes, uh, the minority communities, black, Hispanic, you know, some of the other minority communities here in the U.S. and in other parts of the world are disproportionately affected by diseases of society, you know, metabolic disease in particular. It's, it's it's very tragic to see. We also see this, you know, pretty significantly in places like the Pacific Islands. We see it in the Native American populations. And it has to do, it ties hand in hand with, you know, poverty more than anything. And what happens is, you know, what you end up eating are the cheap, you know, processed, you know, carbohydrate-rich foods that, that the, the, those communities can get for very low prices. And I, and I agree with you 100%. If we could get... Uh, you know, those folks diet, probably much of that metabolic disease would go away. And, you know, I think the one thing is very ironic. And as I've talked about many times, I don't feel that you have to have, you know, the, you know, top of the line, grass finished, organic meat to thrive. I mean, there's plenty of people doing it without it and just, just going to McDonald's and eating burger patties. And as you probably are aware, there's no shortage of fast food places in the minority communities in, in most cases. And so you could easily hack that system for a pretty easy, easy price and just go into Wendy's like I often do and just go order straight up burger patties, you know, and they're, they're you know, they're a buck 20 a piece off and, you know, eat three or four of those, you know, and, and, there, and there you have it. And that's a fairly inexpensive way to do it. So the answer really to doing a carnivorous diet in the metabolic, in the uh, minority community would be very easy to do it that way. If, if that's where your finances limited you. But I think in general, you know, going to the grocery store, buying some ground beef, you know, buying some, uh, you know, meat on sale, whatever it is, you know, if that's your financial situation, I think is a great option. And I agree 100%. We could, we could single-handedly uh, fix that problem. And you, you could use, you know, these places like Wendy's or McDonald's to do it, you know, but you, you can't eat the rest of their garbage because everything else they serve is pretty much garbage. They're French fries or Cokes. They're 
their desserts, all that stuff, I would avoid like the plague. But if you can get 100% beef out of them, you know, by all means, go do it. So that that's my sort of response to that. Uh, Zach, anything to add there? Yeah, no, I think uh, it's an awesome question, and, and thanks for reaching out. Uh, yeah, I think, too, like, you know, one thing that I think sometimes gets, gets overlooked is, um, I mean, we, we love steak. And, you know, steak is can be expensive, but it's not the necessarily the only option. Um, if, if, you know, if having just like Sean said, 100% ground beef uh, is is more affordable, I mean, that's a great spot to start. And it's certainly going to be way better than what you're seeing a lot of the youth eat nowadays. You know, I used to be a school teacher and um, it was really sad when you'd have like a, a low income student who came to school pretty much just because he knew he or she knew they were going to get a free meal, um, and that free meal was junk. Or you know they'd go to a teacher and ask, say, I didn't have breakfast. Do you have anything? You know these teachers don't have steak and hamburger in their desk. They've got granola bars, Gatorade bottles. So this ki- these kids are um, you know getting kind of like the very last resort and essentially just empty calories. So um, yes, you know you can find. Sometimes, you know, I'll go to the grocery store and I'll see, like, they'll have a sale on ground beef or something like that. You can get a 10 pounds of it for, like, 10 bucks, you know. So you're you're getting pretty good bang for your buck in that regard. So kind of, you know, finding out where some of those sales are on the meats and, you know, fo- focus on just getting some of the, the sale meats is a, is a great spot to start. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, you know, I think that's, that's a way for anybody. I mean, it's, you know, mm-hmm. there, there's plenty of people that aren't minorities that struggle financially. And I think that's a message I, I have to say. You cannot say, you know, the only way you can eat meat is if it's, you know, blessed by Tibetan monks and bathed in the tears of, you know, virgins. I mean, it, you know, you, it's still good nutrition, even if it's grain finished. It still is better nutrition than, than 99.9% of the rest of the stuff in the grocery store. So, I mean, I think that's just what you have to understand. That's what you have to do. And then we can all work together as a, as a you know, larger community to, you know, optimize the environmental impact uh, and the ethical, you know, issues that, that might surround, you know, animal agriculture, which I think in many cases are overblown and they're, they're painted with a broad brush when there's a lot of subtlety and, uh, you know, you know, we have to look at each particular operation, you know, piece by piece and see where, where, where issues might be or may not be because I think we're getting told a story which is broadly not applicable. What else we got, Zach? Anything else we want to chat about? Um, those were all the questions that I have in mind. All right, guys. So I'll tell you what, you guys, if you send your questions in, be aggressive about sending them in. You little, you know, the, the best way to get it in is just to email us at hbopodcast at gmail.com. The link is in the on the website, I assume, Zach. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, show notes. It's always on the bottom. Yeah, like I said, we're gonna we're gonna start uh, you know trying to get you guys more involved as listeners. We probably will uh, you know have you guys uh, featured with questions. You know, uh, we might even potentially uh, get some listeners in on the podcast to be members of the panel. And we, as we have a guest on there, we might we might bring in a listener to 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 do that. And so we might have a way to set that up with donations from from different listeners as we attempt to fund our efforts here because <laughs> zach and i we're, we're really we're really we, you know, like i said we, we zach and i are both jealous of joe rogan's studio so you know <laughs> we, we, he's got an archery range and a gym and a float tank and uh you know all kinds of crazy stuff in there and you know a million dollars worth of equipment you know we gotta 
uh, you know, a computer and a, a couple a microphone. of microphones. <laughs> so, so we got a ways to go. So we, we're, 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 doing, we're doing our best. We're trying to give you guys good content, and hopefully you guys will appreciate that and let us know you appreciate that. So hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, let us know if you like the Q&As. Uh, we got a bunch of great guests coming up. Zach, who do we got? Can you, can you name some of the guests we got coming up? Uh, yeah, we've got, let's see, we just did, um, we just recorded with uh, Naaman. Ted Naaman. Uh, Ted yeah. Naaman, yep. Um, we just released the Charles Washington. I'm trying to remember if we had someone between. We had, we had Gary Fetke. Gary Fetke, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Yeah, so those are both great ones. Those ones are already recorded, and they're in the hopper, and they'll be coming out uh, soon. Well, they'll be out by the time they listen to this. Um, but... Uh, yeah, and then we've got Tim Noakes, uh, Nina Teicholz, uh, um, George E. George coming on. George, George yep. coming on. Hey, I got there's a there's another guy, Mickey Demendor, is an interesting anthropologist. There's another. Here's one one of my favorites. Which once we get her on, she said she'd come on. We just got to figure out the time. Molly Schuyler. You know who Molly Schuyler is? Uh, I don't think so. Molly Schuyler is a competitive eater. She's oh, a woman yeah. that can eat twenty <laughs> pounds of steak in twenty <laughs> minutes, and she's tiny. I mean, she's she's like she's she's probably. 125 pounds. I mean, little, little gal. And she's just, she would put me to shame. You know, and I, I want to talk to it's her. It's like three so, to four days of your nutrition. Yeah, yeah. yeah she, in 20 I mean, minutes. 20 minutes. She can, <laughs> she's eating the, you know, the big, you go to Amarillo, Texas, a restaurant called the Big Texan, they've got 72 ounce steak challenge. I know I could do that. The only problem is they make you all, they make you eat all the sides and crap, so yeah. I don't know if I'd want to. But, she went in there and ate a 72-ounce steak, and I think she did it. I know she did it in under five minutes, and it might have been wow. like something like three minutes to get through a 72-ounce steak, which is, you know, four and a half pounds of steak. But she's done three of those steaks. You know, so that's, that's like, you know, you know, she did three of them in a row in under 20 minutes, and I think she's also has done like 20 pounds in one sitting, which to me is phenomenal. But when you go back historically and you listen to these people talking about how the Mongolians used to eat, you know, where they were put down – you know, 10 pounds in a sitting pretty routinely, and they would eat an entire sheep, you know, within, within a 24-hour period. They would just gorge. They would maybe only eat once a week. You know, they would eat like a, like a wolf eats. You know, they just, they just eat until they, they, they couldn't eat anymore. And this, these are human beings we're talking about, you know, historical accounts of this stuff. And so when you see someone like Molly, who clearly demonstrates that, yes, indeed, a human being can eat 20 pounds of steak and not explode, you know, you know and if that was your routine, that's interesting to see. So I'll be interested if we can get her on here and talk about that stuff because I think she'll be a fun guest. She's a, she's a little bit of a uh, kind of a renegade, you know. She's she's definitely she's I don't think she's shy. I think she's she's all business, and uh, I think it'll be fun to get her on here. So I'm I'm gonna work on that, uh, you know. So anyway, we'll see. I've already got questions popping in my head for her, so <laughs> that'll be a fun one. Yeah, if you listeners have a particular guest you want us to see if we can get on there, we'll we'll do our best. You know, again, you know, I, maybe we'll get, uh, you know, maybe we we'll get the president on here. I don't know. He may he may have other, other obligations, but yeah, like I said, within reason. You know, we're we're still uh, we're still growing, but uh, we we've grown rapidly. Our, our our listener base is growing every day, and it's great to see. And it's great to see some of the feedback I'm getting on social media. Uh, let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. I know some of you guys were. Uh, talking about the audio, we're, we're, we've upgraded that significantly. You know, we're figuring that stuff out. And so anything we can do to make it a more enjoyable experience for you guys, please don't hesitate to let us know. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we will get this one up. And uh, like Sean said, give us your feedback. All right, man. Hey, folks. Thanks again for tuning in to the Human Performance Outliers podcast. Just a couple quick notes before you leave. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at 
hpopodcast at gmail.com. That's hpopodcast at gmail.com. We're both also on social media. On Twitter, you can find me, at ZBitter. That's at Z-B-I-T-T-E-R. And you can find Sean, at SBakerMD. That's at S-B-A-K-E-R-M-D. We're both also on Instagram, where you can find me, at ZachBitter. That's at Z-A-C-H-B-I-T-T-E-R. And for Sean, it's at SeanBaker1967. That's at S-H-A-W-N-B-A-K-E-R-1967. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers Podcast.